listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Brexit. What a pass to Anders. A king follow. Toy Branch fires. He converts. Rhymes again. Another episode of Pod Slam Jamma presented by Cliff City Control Room, your home for all things Houston Hoops. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Andy Yanev, and you can find me on Twitter at ayanev underscore five. That's capital A, capital Y. And I'm your second host, Justin Barbosa, and you can find me on Twitter at jbarbosa underscore 95. And be sure to follow the official Clutch City Control Room account at Clutch City CR. And I'm your third and final host, Tamer Knight, and you can find me on Twitter at T Knight Sports. That's T K N I G H T Sports. And if you appreciate the podcast, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it. And today I'm very excited to introduce our guest here at Pod Slamajama. From the Houston Round Bar Review, Chris Gardner. You've been a credentialed media member since 1997. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, Chris, let's jump right into it. I know the news of the day today on Tuesday that we're recording this is with all the uh, football conferences and what they're going to decide to do in the fall. How do you see that affecting basketball in the in the winter? Well, yeah, as you mentioned, Andy, it's big news. Big Ten and Pac-12 Tuesday decided to postpone fall sports. Pac-12 got a little bit more specific, saying no sports until January 1st. And with that, that, that will involve no basketball non-conference games for November and December. So that'll have a big impact on any teams, any schools that have non-conference matchups scheduled against Pac-12 foes on the men's side and the women's side. So that's a big blow. No football, no false. The big thing is no football. That's going to be a huge financial hit to a lot of schools. A lot of people will lose jobs going to have a big impact on those college towns but for me and my main focus my favorite sport for basketball I really hope that the people in charge in college hoops the powers that be begin to plan if they haven't already started planning and really really truly seriously consider the bubble concept that has been shown to work thus far in the NBA WNBA NHL, women's soccer, MLS. So that is, I think, the best way to go. I do know for a fact that coaches on the men's and women's side have begun discussing the idea of a bubble, mainly for conference basketball games. I think that non-conference games just aren't going to happen this season. But, and that's going to hurt, you know, money games. I know The Athletic put out a huge article from the basketball writers about um, saving non-conference games with a bubble concept of 44 pods throughout the country involving all the Div- Division I men's and women's basketball teams. From the coaches I talked to, 
that won't work because in that scenario, you're still losing your money games, your buy games for the non-conference into those bubbles. So I really believe that the bubble will be the way to go for conference games only. And yes, that does mean no fans. Chris, how do you see that affecting the smaller conferences? Um, do you think that could possibly limit uh, a bubble concept would limit to only power five conferences and, and other leagues that have that similar amount of cash to be able to afford a bubble and it would kind of leave out the smaller conferences out or how would that go? It's possible. Oddly enough that you, you brought it up. One of the coaches that I've talked to is from a smaller conference. And this coach was all, was all for it, still in favor of the bubble concept because this coach believes that it can be done, it can be fit into the budget of the school, of the conference. When you think about most likely busing to the single site, the neutral site most likely, and then having hotels, or in some cases, you know, possibly a B&B that's large enough to accommodate um, teams. But this coach and other coaches have said that it can be done. And, you know, this is for all three of y'all. I, I really believe that the first question that must be asked is by the coaches, ADs, president, conference commissioner is, do you want to have a college basketball season? And if they all agree yes, then you, need to, then you can go forward and agree and plan what the best possible scenario is. And I think, and based on what I've heard so far, that best possible scenario for everyone involved, you know, the safety of the players, first and foremost, will be the bubble. And Chris, how do you think that the bubble, the, the idea of the bubble will have an impact on the athletes and coaches and, you know, coaching staffs? Because, you know, they are student athletes, but just how would they be able to adapt to um, such sudden change? It, it's going to be, it, it is not, let me be clear, it's not the ideal scenario and it won't be the ideal scenario most likely for everybody. It won't please all 100% of the people involved. I think this will involve online instruction for the players. And some, some schools already do that. So it won't be too much of an adjustment for them who are already used to it. But there will be a few players, students, that it will be an adjustment and who, are, who learn better with face-to-face -face instruction. So it's gonna be an adjustment for them and, and the staffs will have to accommodate those particular students and make them as comfortable as possible in an online scenario, even if you have to have um, FaceTime with the professor, something like that to make them as comfortable as possible to get their studies done. But I think personally, the bubble concept will be the way to go this year. I don't believe travel, flying around, the MLB baseball way is doing it is just it's not working, and I don't think they're going to try that for college basketball. So do you think the conferences are going to have their own little bubbles, and then whoever wins those conference tournaments, the winner of that conference will go on, and the NCAA tournament will have their own specific bubble just for the tournament? I think that is, is one of the questions that must be addressed. There's going to be a long list of questions that need answers, you know, what are you going to do for officials? And are, 
obviously they're going to have to stay in the bubble too. So that's going to be a cost. Those things going to be, must be answered. I do believe that it has to be, it's, I, I think that they will try to have a regular season and a conference championship. So in that scenario, why not have the bubble in the same site, same city of the uh, city that is hosting the conference championship. So in our case, U of H is part of the American Athletic Conference. Fort Worth, Dickies Arena was going to be the, the host of the, this, you know, 2021, the men's and women's basketball conference championship. So why not see if Fort Worth can accommodate having a bubble up there for regular season as well as conference championship. And uh, for the NCAA tournament, do you think they will trim the amount of teams that will be able to get into the big dance? As of right now, I'd say no. I, you know, that's one of those questions that must be answered too. I think if possible, they're going to still try to have on the men's side, 68, women's side, 64. But uh, it may not be as many cities. To, you know, you may have eight cities instead of, you know, 16 for the first two rounds, sites and regionals, things like that. So I do believe they're going, first things first, they agree to have a college season. I do believe that there will be a full NCAA tournament, including at-large teams, as well as the conference champion, because the cancellation of this past NCAA tournament was a huge blow financially. And I don't believe they can do that two years in a row, two seasons in a row. Chris, you kind of just touched on it, but how much pressure do you think that adds or that incentivizes the conferences to get something done, whether it is a bubble type of setting? In my opinion, huge, huge incentive for them to get this done. They cannot go two years, two straight years, missing out on, what was it, $600 million? something like that, if, if not more, maybe three quarters of a million dollars. So I, you know, you can, you can call me a cynic and, and, you know, chasing after the money, that's fine. But another missed tournament would be just, and added to no football, could just be the true death knell for all of college athletics and universities as well. Because right now, Big Ten is no fall sports, that's no football. Pac-12, no football. It remains to be seen what the Big 12, SEC, and ACC are going to do. But you got two of the Power Five, no football. That combined with missing out on, on already one NCAA tournament, if you miss out on two NCAA tournaments, that's three huge things in a row. I don't see that happening and surviving. And then you have people who have red sh or athletes who have redshirted um, who are, or those who are seniors who won't get this opportunity again. So I can see why they need to kind of push for this because some of the seniors last season didn't even get to play in the, in the final dance or the, the March Madness. But segueing that, saying that, um, Chris, how do you think the University of Houston men's and women's basketball teams have evolved um, over the past couple of years? Of the two programs, obviously, I think we all agree that men's basketball has evolved further than women's basketball. Coach Sampson on the men's side, he and his staff have just done a tremendous job of 
resurrecting a once proud, nationally relevant men's basketball program that had fallen off the map 30 plus years from, you know, winning a, a game in the NCAA tournament, numerous years from even getting into the tournament. The fan apathy was huge. The facilities were awful. They were decrepit. I mean, showers didn't work. It, it was just bad. I don't think y'all had a chance to hear about it and see it firsthand. I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was really bad toward the end of Hall 5 Pavilion. So Coach Sampson, before he agreed to take the job, he made a point to, to the president, board of directors, facilities must be upgraded. We need to have a practice court. The practice court, the Gavi Lewis Center, one side has facilities for men's basketball, one side has facilities for women's basketball. Both teams have their own courts. Not many women's basketball programs have their own courts. So that is an advantage for U of H women's hoops. They need to. Coach Huey is bringing in more talent the last year or so. And I mean talent to compete with big-time programs. UConn is gone from the AAC. Well, we'll be gone. Officially, they're gone from the AAC. Women's basketball, everybody in that conference on the women's side is now on an even playing field. Everybody has a fair shot, legit shot to win the AAC championship on women's side. And I do believe that Coach Huey and the staff, they are feeling the heat from some alums. And you start winning. The UConn excuse is gone now. So they need to start winning on U of H women's basketball side, without a doubt. You mentioned UConn. How, how do you think they will perform? Um, I, I've given about the third or fourth seed for the University of Houston <coughs> this upcoming season in 2020-2021 season. But where would you rank them uh, now that UConn is no longer a part of the AAC? I, I think UCF, USF, and Cincinnati are the three top teams on women's side in the conference. So U of H will be there with Tulane, Wichita State, Memphis, uh, those kind of programs. So not quite, maybe, you know, middle of the pack, that middle tier of the conference. I still think the conference is unfortunately, unfortunately just a one-bid league. So whatever championship that they agree upon, to represent the conference, it'll be one team going to the tournament. I don't see the conference getting more than one bid on women's side until teams get better nationally on a, on a recruiting level and then competing with the power teams in non-conference play. You are listening to the Pod Slam Ajama podcast presented by Clutch City Control Room. Stick with us through the break as we continue with our interview of Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Ball Review. And we are back here at Pod Slam Jamma, presented by Clutch City Control Room. As we are back with Christopher Gardner from Houston Round Ball Review. So, Chris, we just want to talk a little bit about who do you think um, left the, that has left the programs of women's and men's um, that's going to leave like a big impact on the teams. We, I say we say Nate Henson and I say Dorian Branch on the women's side, but what do you think? I agree with y'all. I, I do believe there 
you know, obviously Dorian graduated at, from U of H and then Nate left early to go pro for the fellas are the two big losses for both programs. Nate was really a, a glue guy, great rebounder, solid defender, was not a huge scorer, but he really wasn't asked to be that. But he really was the leader of the team. So his absence will be felt. On women's side, Dorian Branch being a senior on last year's squad, her absence will be felt. We'll see how I do believe that Julia Blackshell Fair is ready to assume that leadership role for the women's team this coming season. Julia is not, well, has not been much of a vocal leader. She, she leads by example, but she has, and she is getting better at being talkative and being more vocal to her teammates. So I think she's growing into that role and her teammates are willing to help her get used to that role. So I think uh, Julia Blackshear will be fill that void on the women's side. On the men's side, I hope that Jason DeRoe will be able to fill that void and have a bounce back season from the past season. But when a push comes to shove, I think Quentin Grimes will lead, if not by his words, by his actions. You mentioned Quentin Grimes. Some say that Quentin will did exceptionally well on the court last season. And then there's others who would argue that he was a little bit inconsistent. What did you think? I think I'm, I'm in that second group. I think he was inconsistent last season. There were times last year, you know, he, he wasn't healthy 100% of the season, but there were other times where he got in his head and, and could not get it out of his own way. He thought too much. He really tried to be perfect all the time. And he allowed one mistake to lead to another and impact him either on offense or defense, sometimes both. So I do believe in listening to Coach Sampson this summer that Quentin is more comfortable with his role on the team as a player. And I think he's more comfortable on his role as a team as a leader. So Coach Sampson is expecting big things from Quentin. And whenever basketball starts, hoping soon we have a season, I'm expecting big things from Quentin as well. Yeah, Crusoe, what recruits do you think are going to make a big impact for the men's basketball team this upcoming season? First one that comes to mind, I think everybody agrees, is a Tremont Mark for the fellas. Tremont Mark coming from Dickinson High School. He helped lead the Gators to Austin to state championship for the Final Four, which was canceled because of the pandemic. He is a great scorer, also a willing passer. As Coach Sampson told a lot of us, and I think he's told fans and alums on the coaches' caravans and just meeting him face-to-face, that when he was recruiting Tremont at one of the uh, country's elite camps, Tremont, the point guard of the team, got hurt or went home or something, and Tremont had to play point guard. He, he led the tournament in assists. And that was uh, one of the elite 100 camps, the top players in the country. He led the team in assists. So he is a willing passer. He's also a very good scorer and improving three-point shot. He's a good shooter right now, but he's getting better. I think his time with strength coach Alan Bishop will help him get stronger. His frame may not be the frame that allows him to get too much bigger, but he definitely will get stronger. I think uh, one thing that could hurt him 
in his development, if there is no non-conference schedule this season, he would have, he would have had benefited from that time, those 10, 12 games playing non-conference to learn and adapt to college basketball. So his development may be stunted just a bit because he is talented enough, in my opinion, that he will still be on the floor come crunch time, those last five minutes of ball games. Joel Shedd, 6'1", 6'2", guard. He told me when he committed to U of H that he is Galen Robinson 2.0. He loves playing defense, but he's Galen Robinson with a jump shot. So he is much more of, much more ahead of what Galen was coming in as a freshman. Galen was not a shooter. He was not a three-point threat, a perimeter threat whatsoever as a freshman at U of H. Jamal's shot is better than Galen's shot. So he is ahead of Galen in that sense. Galen became a leader. He evolved into his role, became a leader. He became a better shooter, became a threat on offense. We'll see if Jamal becomes like that. We'll see if Jamal, because the Cougars are so deep in the backcourt with Quinn Grimes, Caleb Mills, Marcus Sasser, I'm not sure how many, how much time Jamal is going to get. He might redshirt this year, which may not be a bad thing for him. So we'll see how that goes. And then I don't want to forget about G1 Roberts, who redshirted last year, be a freshman, redshirt freshman this year. I think he'll fill the rebounding role. He is probably the best jumper, quick second to third jumper on the team. And then young big man from uh, Indiana, Keyron Powell. He's the tallest Coug. He's not the heaviest Coug yet, but I think he'll be, he'll get minutes. I think because of the inexperience and lack of depth up front, Kieran Powell and Jaywan Roberts will get a lot of minutes to produce for the team this year. This season. Uh, Chris, you talked uh, about Jaywan Roberts and uh, I transitioned into talking about the front court for the men's basketball team. Obviously, they're going to be without Fabian White uh, this upcoming season if they do play, uh, obviously, after he tore the ACL a couple of months back. How do you see that affecting the front court for this upcoming season? Fabian White was the team's best low post offensive threat, most consistent off- offensive player. We kind of struggled last year with the uh, baseline jumper, but low post offense, he was it. So I'm not sure where the team will go for low post scoring because I, I'm not sure the guards, any of the guards right now are really comfortable and best suited for posting up any offensively at all. But um, post up wise, I, I could see without a post up game, coach Sampson and the staff going with more four guard lineups and playing around big man, Bryson Gresham. We'll see if uh, transfer Reggie Chaney, will get uh, his waiver approved. And if, if so, he could be that low post threat, but he's more of a real physical guy to get rebounds. So Fabian's absence, injury being out for the season will, will hurt. But Coach Sampson has been around a long time. He knows how to maximize his team's talent for each specific season. So I do believe possibly the four guard lineups will be the way to go for this team. You talked a little bit about the men's and their new prospects, but what about the women's side? Who's one of the red shirts or the um, incoming freshmen or that you may see, that you see uh, that could have a huge impact on this women's team? 
to uh, piggyback off what, what I think, Tamer, you mentioned in the first podcast that y'all did, Maya Crump. Maya Crump is the most talented player, in my opinion, on the women's team. I think she has the highest ceiling of talent on the team. She has pro potential. If not WNBA overseas pro potential, she is that talented to be the best player on the team. One of her issues is focus. Staying focused and locked in for 40 minutes. That is one of her issues. That's one of her problems that she had at Lamar, her freshman year at Lamar, is just maintaining focus and being locked in offensively and defensively. But her potential is there on, on she, can, she can score, she can shoot, she can do a little bit of everything. So I, I think she's the best player. You're looking at uh, Diamond Gladney. She played so many minutes last year. The added depth when you have Erica Sidney, who shot out last year, transferred from Texas Tech. Her presence will help my, Diamond Gladney's minutes be reduced a little bit. So Diamond wants to play 39 or 40 minutes every game. So looking forward to her uh, being more consistent and not having to shoot and carry the load on offense and defense for the team. And then Julia Blackshell Fair evolving into a more all-around player. Julia can get to the hole against almost anybody in the conference. She needs to work, work on adding an outside shot and being consistent that way. So some of the pieces are there. You got point, point guard depth. You got depth on the wings. And you should have some depth up front. So, you know, one of the transfers from Juco, Daphne White, we'll see she's 6'4". She initially out of high school signed with, with Mississippi State. So that shows, should indicate right there that she has big-time potential. So we'll see if she can turn that big-time potential into production for U of H. You mentioned focus from Maya Crump, but as a whole, how do you think that the NCAA and coaches and staffs and ADs can get these athletes to focus if they were to go through with the bubble scenario, you know, removing them from their you know, the comfort of their own dorm or their own home or their own apartment and then taking them away from, you know, what they're used to, their norm. How do you think that these teams will be able to adjust and adapt to this new way of the new norm, I guess? I, I think the coaches and the staff really going to have to focus and realize which of their players need that one-on-one that -on -one attention and how to best accommodate them and to make them as comfortable as possible in the new situation. So if a player is not the most focused and needs help in that area, figure out the best way possible to maintain that, that player's focus, that student's focus. So each staff, they're going to have to, they have to know as much time as they spend with the players throughout the summer, throughout the season, throughout the year, you have to figure out the best way possible to accommodate and make that as comfortable as possible in the bubble setting if they are going to play and stay in a hotel for six weeks, eight weeks, and have to play three games a week, you know, if that is what they agree to do. You know, I just, I'm just thinking about how this is going to have an impact on, you know, fans and season ticket holders and how, how, because the Proceeded Center was a beacon for men's basketball last season. And I just 
couldn't imagine how they could get it done without that support because we've heard Kelvin Sampson say a lot that you know we couldn't have done it without you without you he meant everybody that comes and be a part of the Petita Center um, each and every home game well unfortunately we I'm going to stand on my soapbox we as a society have not done our part so far to warrant and be rewarded with fall sports right now, fall college sports, without a bubble. So college basketball coaches and administrators must start planning right now, now, what they're going to do for the upcoming season. And they can't wait and rely on society to do the thing necessary to uh, flatten the curve. Because football is waited and waited and waited without a planning for contingencies. And look where we are. So I think college hoops, college coaches, start planning and start thinking about that bubble concept and then go from there. If the curve is flattened by then, fantastic. But I don't see, as of August 11th, I don't see college basketball being played in, the fall, in say, January with fans in the building. I agree. Uh, I believe football waited to the last minutes of months ago and Basketball actually has a chance right now to really plan what the situation can be really the next few months. Well, Chris, we got a few minutes left here on the pod, so uh, let's transition into into what you've been doing during this time in quarantine. I know you're you're doing uh you're covering the Rockets for the Houston Roundball Review. How has that been covering a sports team during a pandemic? It's different. Like every media person who is still fortunate enough to be employed. We all had to adjust to Zoom life, adjusting to covering, interviewing coaches and players in this Zoom conference call setting. You know, gone for the most part are the days of the one-on-one interview. So we all, our Rockets Media Department does a great job of notifying media of the pregame availability the post-game availability, the day of practice sessions when they're going to take place, who, which players besides Coach Antonio are going to be available to speak to us. And it's up to us to uh, tune in and click on that link to join and, and uh, listen in and ask questions. I learned how to, what button to press to raise my hand. I don't ask many questions during the sessions. I record the um, interviews and then post them on social media, clips of them on social media. But it took me a while to figure out how to do that with um, my own equipment. So I am not the most high-tech person, but I get there eventually. And I've had to get there and learn how to adjust and adapt in this new situation. So I am not a Zoom expert, but I am a Zoom uh, medium user. I know Kelvin Sampson's talked about calling himself Zoom Sampson after getting used to having to do all these Zoom meetings. So I'm sure you're going to be a Zoom Chris Gardner one of these days as soon as you uh, keep working on it. Um, what have you uh, picked up during this quarantine? Have you done any uh, picked up any hobbies or anything new that you've done during quarantine? Or when you're not covering the Rockets, what has that been like? Not not too much. Not too much out of the ordinary. One of you know the perks of I guess having my own business is I kind of do have 
my own free time and hours set aside for work and then, then life outside of work. But when the Rockets practice and the game started, the eight seeding games resumed. They have a game pretty much every day. And they, I think they've only missed practice or canceled practice maybe two or three times so far. And that's probably going to be limited once the playoffs start August 17th or 18th for, for them. There'll be a game every other day. So no practice. I love it because then I can listen to jazz or reggae, Bob Marley, or catch up on, you know, binge watch on some of my favorite shows. So I do what I can to stay sane. And it's been so far so good. I haven't cracked up yet. Hey, Chris, do you mind telling our listeners a little bit about Christopher Gardner and the Houston Round Ball Review? Not at all. Houston Round Ball Review has been credentialed, media credentialed, as mentioned in the beginning, in the intro, since 1997. But the Houston Round Ball Review has existed since 1994. And it started out as an NBA draft only publication. Uh, me and a guy who we met over sports talk radio in town. And this is, you know, 94 is a long time ago. Um, he called into the show asking if anyone, and he and I are pretty fairly regular callers to the sports show. He called and asked if anybody had recorded a, one of those postseason NBA, not NBA, but NCAA kind of combines for the seniors to play and for the NBA scouts to evaluate the talent. And I recorded it. I called into the station. They, they hooked me up with him and we uh, agreed to meet. We formed the Houston Round Ball Review 94 with our draft publication. He, um, he had spina bifida health issues. So he passed away a few years after that, but I continued doing it, continue, continued Houston Round Ball Review in his honor. And one of the things that else got me credential was my time, I earned time on local sports talk radio. I faxed in my work to sports stations and I asked them to give me a shot to be a guest on the show to talk hoops. And one of my, my pitches was to one of the stations is why do you have a guy from Minnesota talking about the Rockets? I can talk about the Rockets just as informed as he can. So the sports Saturday show gave me a shot to be on the show. They liked what I did. I was a regular on that show, Saturday show, for 30 minutes to an hour each week during basketball season and during the summer up to the draft. And then ultimately, I ended up being a basketball analyst on just about every sports talk show in town from 610 up to 1430. Man, that's it's an amazing accomplishment. I can't imagine what, uh, how much, how tiring that must be, or, or really to just uh, get to work for so many uh, outlets. Um, but one thing I, I'm going to ask you before I let you go, or before we let you go, is, um, is there a memory that stands out uh, during your time just covering hoops for this long? Yes, um, 2016 Men's Final Four here in town. Final Four championship game, Villanova, North Carolina. Being credentialed to cover it is something I never take for granted. So being inside NRG Stadium in my seat, I'm not one of those people who fusses about where, I, where my seat is located. 
as long as I'm in the building to cover the event, I'm happy. My seat was behind the school band, et cetera, whatever. But when Chris Jenkins hit that game-winning three-point shot to beat Carolina, that was the most memorable happy moment. Probably the, the most memorable negative moment was five years prior when I thought I was Superman and could cover both men's and women's Final Fours, I think Friday through Monday. The Aggies were participating in the women's Final Four in Indianapolis, men's Final Four here in H-Town. I flew back and forth four, five straight days covering both. And ultimately, the night that the Aggies won the championship, I could, I, I could not move. I, we, me and my buddy were walking back to the hotel, and my feet just stopped. I literally could not move. We had to take time and wait for my body to, like, whatever, find itself and allow me to get back to the hotel. So note to self, listen to your body, eat right, and do not fly four straight days back and forth trying to cover two final fours. Note to self and noted to us. Uh, thank you for joining us, Chris. We really appreciate uh, your time to help us record. I mean, this is our second episode ever, so we really appreciate you having taken some time out of your day to, to join us. And Tamer, Justin, if you have anything to say to Chris before uh, we wrap it up. I just want to say thank you, and it's been an honor and a pleasure to soak up this free knowledge. Um, we look forward to maybe working with you again in the future. And again, thank you so, so much for being a part of the second Podslam Majama podcast. My pleasure. Yeah. Glad to do it. Keep up the good work. And I look forward to listening to what you guys do in the future and your two podcasts in. And hopefully you have hundreds more in the future. And hopefully you can join us for one of the other podcasts down the road. Sounds good. Just let me know when. That's going to do it for today's episode. So if you, have already, if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you appreciate the consistent digital and podcast breakdowns, analysts, and speculations, guest voices, and camaraderie of our team, please consider clicking the link in the description to check out one of our monthly Patreon subscription options. And as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back on our next episode of Pod Slamma Jamma, covering your University of Houston Cougars.